um, you have to win. You have to win. Um, you have to win games to validate what you're selling to kids because you're battling the Xbox, the social media, uh, the girlfriends, the, you know, everything else that you're battling. Those are hard battles to win. Welcome to the Jamoti podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti, just a matter of doing it. Today, we are joined by the assistant boys coach of Boswell High School, Kenny Bourne. Coach Bourne has 28 years of experience with stops at Louisville, Flower Mound Marcus, Duncanville, and College Station High School. As the head coach of Duncanville High School in 2014, he led the Panthers to a 22-10 record and their deepest playoff run since 2008. As an assistant at Flower Mound High School, he helped lead the Marauders to two state championships in 2011 and 2012. He's a three-time TABC Assistant Coach of the Year. Coach Bourne is also on the board of directors for Marcus Smart's Young Game Changer Charity Foundation. Before we hear from Coach, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamoti Podcast. First of all, man, I just want to say thank you so much for giving up your time and oh, coming thanks on. for the invite. Yeah, I mean, this is an honor for me because I've known you since I was in high school. So. Um, I hated playing that. That was in the Jody Bass days. God, Tommy Thomas. I, I, you know, I, every now and then I'll still touch base with Coach Thomas. Not often, but he'll either randomly Facebook message me or something. Man, that guy, uh, Tommy Thomas, a legend. You know, he does a really good job, uh, and it's. I think it's a good reminder for us. He, he keeps in touch with former players, and I don't know if he has, like, a plan that he uses or or just randomly when, when people's names – popping his head but it's yeah. it's pretty often i'll get a text just with an encouraging word and and i i think that's pretty special yeah he he is good at that i'd say the best person at that is jd mayo jd mayo is uh just god i i, I literally uh whew, a year ago just got a no one mails anything anymore got a long letter from him <laughs> uh just encouraging stuff so yeah that's always a great quality I mean, being being down at TABC early bird a few years ago with Buzz Williams talking, yeah, yeah, he went through his schedule and the plan of what he does every day, writing letters. He, he, he at the time he said like three or so a day. I tried it for a little while and I used the school's <laughs> stamps uh, yeah. that they had, like a machine that they have to run stamps yeah. through. And but that that's a lot of a lot of work and a lot of effort. But you're right when you get something handwritten, it's just it doesn't happen that often, so it's it's really special. Well, we're in an age of no personal communication, and it's uh, it's a real problem in our our country and the world. Everything's digital. Yeah, I'm the that you are you're you're young, so you know. But it, we've lost that personal touch, and you know, to write out a letter takes a little bit of time. Yeah, but when the letter you realize that you know whoever wrote it took the time to do that so it always means something more to you kind of like talking to somebody face to face rather than than texting so it's just the age that we live in i'm glad that you and i can do this at least it's over video i can see yeah. it and and so it's it's the next next best thing to us meeting up right absolutely knowing you as long as i have uh definitely excited to learn a little bit about your daily habits because i think successful coaches have great daily habits that set them up uh, to be the, the best they can that day. So, you know, what do you do daily that makes you different? 
well, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I do is is something that I've gotten from my parents. You know, I think all of us that have been blessed to have wonderful parents have set cornerstones in your life to to set daily habits. And, you know, I think probably one thing and a lot, not a whole lot of people probably know this about me because it is what it's supposed to be, which is just like private personal time. And, um, you know, I start the day off. Um, Coach Blackburn's kind of changed me uh, in and how our basketball schedule is set up and where we're at. Um, and I, I've never been a big morning person, but over the past about two years now, I've been getting up at about 4.50 a.m. And um, it's really changed a lot with me. Um, you know, as you as you get older, I'm about to be 52. Man, but you're, you're a young looking 52. <laughs> um, sometimes I don't feel that way, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I do. I start uh, the morning off uh, every morning with a quiet time, um, usually out of an Oswald Chambers devotional. I don't know if you know who Oswald Chambers is, um, but um, an old uh, Christian um, theologian um, and just some time that like right out of bed, that's usually what I do. And then the second thing is um, I just think it's important in coaching. You know, so many people burn out in this profession um, and that's because they uh, have no life outside of the profession. And I mm. just don't, you know, if, if there's anything my dad taught me, it's, it's, he, he taught me what not to do when it comes to burnout. And that is, um, you know, your God, your family, uh, and then your hobbies and your personal time. And then you let your profession, even though it's something that we love with basketball, if you're going to go fast, you're going to go alone. You know, if you're going to go far, you're going to go together and a little bit slower. And mm -hmm. so I just I just find every day to have a quiet time, um, which includes prayer and a devotional. Um, and then um, I journal and then I work out. Uh, from about six to eight, we, we usually, we don't start, we don't start school till nine 15. Wow. At Boston. So, um, I'm usually at school by eight. Uh, and so is coach Blackburn. Coach Blackburn's usually there about seven 45 and, you know, we've got the gym open and, you know, a, a gym full of kids at that point or, or we're lifting in the mornings. But, you know, by that time, by eight o'clock, you know, you've done what many people would consider a half day's work and your energy's high, your attitude's right. The older you get, the more grumpier you get and the more patient you get. And so um, by by happenstance, me changing my whole routine of my whole day um, has really changed my attitude. Um, and then, you know, you're going into school energized with a, bet, a good attitude. You know, you've got your workout in. You've eaten a good breakfast. You've got your spiritual meal in um, and then your personal time. And then, um, you know, then you've got your school day and then. You know, come home and do it all over again. Go to bed early. You got to go to bed early, though, if you're getting up that early. That's true. You can't stay up late and get up early. That's a recipe for disaster. But I, I, to answer your question, I, I just um, I don't think you can be very successful at anything if you don't treat your body as a temple. And we preach that to our kids. I really have always done that, even even with coach, coaching, you know, back in the day, even when you were playing. Um, I've always um, enjoyed teaching the strength and conditioning part of basketball. And with that, the nutrition and the fuel and treating the body as a temple. Because um, if you don't do that, um, you know, you may be successful for the for the meantime, but in the end, it catches up with you in coaching yeah. as you the high stress job and a lot of time. So I love that. I, I've been fascinated with morning routines and I'm amazed at how many guys 
are waking up early in the morning. So I, I'm, I, unfortunately, like you said, you know, nutrition and treating your body like a temple. I do try to work out hard, but I, I also love energy drinks. And, and I try a bunch of them over the years and I've just kind of been learning more and more about what the artificial sweeteners do to you and all those things. So trying to take those, those out, but, but wanting to find one. So Jocko, uh, go Jocko is it, it, he's a Navy SEAL. So I, I've been drinking his energy drinks because it's stevia is the flavoring. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, yeah. the, the ingredient list is like four things instead of a paragraph, like on some of them, you don't even know what right. those things are. So it's a really clean one and it's not a, a huge amount of caffeine either. So right. I, but I started drinking those. So I started to look at him a little bit as a person, watch some of his videos, follow him on Instagram. He gets up at by 430 every day takes a picture of it on his on his watch takes a picture of his watch with the date and everything if you scroll through that dude has not missed he'll he'll wake up at 4 30 he'll get a workout in so now that you've transitioned from not liking to get up are you do you think you'll ever go back to no, sleeping and uh, you like it i could step back in my room and grab some I, i've got a separate journal which is similar to taking i don't take a picture but I take, I write down what time I got up and what I weighed when I got up. And so ah. that journal is a lot of pages thick now and it just kind of keeps it rolling. But um, the, no, I'll never go back. Once I made, cause I was not a morning person. You tell me that I'm getting up at 4.50, I would laugh at you. I mean, I was always pushing to get to work or get to, to weights by. Um, but again, it, once you're just you have no choice but once you're kicking your metabolism off at 5 a.m in the morning you know the body is a really cool thing it won't stop and so once it gets kicked into high gear um then you get your habits you know once you put your two weeks together and you got a habit for them now I, I will not i laughed at people that got up that i was like how do they do that and then again i was staying up till midnight watching right. espn till 11 or watching a game and now um Everyone knows don't text me after nine because you're not going <laughs> back. I got the deal is if you text me after nine, I'm going to text you when I wake up at four fifty. So um, they uh, they know no. It's once you made that switch, I almost wonder why in the world. Uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. I really do. I really now you're tired when you get home. You're tired, but that's how that's how it's supposed to be. Yep. In my for, opinion, for the last month I've been doing four thirty. And it's really after looking at Jocko, reading and and listening to some what what some other uh, leaders think about getting up early and how that and I, I agree with that sense of accomplishment by about seven thirty or eight o'clock. I mean the it's amount of things that I've gotten done in that time a workout, quiet time, uh, you know, walking on the treadmill in, in addition to working out, and then I like to uh, do a little intermittent fasting, so I do all of that. You know, without ever maybe some black coffee, without ever taking any food, but I feel great like that. It's just a, a huge mental <laughs> mental shift. Early, it's very what? There's no distractions that early. so there can get a lot of thinking done, whether it be basketball or, or whatever you're got going on in your life. But at four fifty in the morning, and you're on a treadmill by five thirty. There's not a lot of distractions that early, so it's uh it's turned out to be. Um, I just have to have that time of no distraction. That or my, if I don't, my attitude, my attitude's just really bad. But I haven't missed, uh, I haven't missed a day um, of workout or getting up that early in many years. Man, so, good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. So journaling, uh, an area that I don't do at all. 
but I want to do. And I think every about three or four months, I'll start. So if you look into my journal, there are three to four month pauses in between the dates. What What's the, the kind of your thinking with your journaling? And if you don't mind, just what's your approach? Is it something specific that you're writing down or some different things? Or is it kind of like a, I can't remember what it's called, blank pages or something like that, where you just write anything that's in your head and just let it go? No, no, it's not that. It's definitely, um, uh, I mean, usually it's a very thankful, um, you know, a thank, a thank, a, a, <clears throat> the blessings that I've been given. Um, <clears throat> so it's usually like a, it's a combination of spiritual and personal. So a lot of it is, you know, my Christian faith and um, just thanking God for this, 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 and this every day. Um, and again, I do that in the morning. Again, a lot of this has been switched to just, um, do a lot of uh, John Gordon stuff and Max Lucado stuff of old Max Lucado stuff mm. of just starting your day out with everything positive and then watch what happens to your attitude through the day. Um, and so it just, it's a very, it start all my journals every day start out with thankfulness. Like what am I thankful for today? And then it usually goes into prayer requests. So like whether it be my mom, my dad, um, church family, their church family. I mean, everyone has a prayer request that they've asked you to, to keep them and so um i think you have to be faithful in that when you say yeah i'm going to pray for you so usually it has uh, what i um, you know what my prayers are that day and then it usually always goes into basketball and then um you know for the kids that i'm coaching or the frustrations that you're having right now or lord let us win a game <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but in uh, your career you haven't had that feeling too much though you, you, uh, a lot I, of wins it's been definitely a challenge where, where you know Brian took the Boswell job and and was stupid enough to hire me um, to come down from College Station. Um, I was probably going to retire there. My whole family's in College Station, and and um, it's uh, he talked me into to coming down here or coming back up to DFW, which was has been an awesome deal because working with Brian, you know Brian worked with us at Marcus on those state championship teams, and mm. he was like five years old back then. Um, but he is, uh, he's been a real big blessing to work with. And, uh, we really enjoy working every day. Uh, even in our, our disagreements as a coaching staff, it's, it's, it's so, it's so building. Um, um, uh, he, he's just, it's just a true staff. If that makes any sense. If you've yeah. ever worked on staff, you know, Danny was like that. Um, you know, people don't ever see behind the scenes where, you know, you're together all the time and, Things aren't as hunky-dory as they always seem. They are most of the time, but um, to be able to work with him and... Coaches, the Jamoti Podcast is powered by Biology. What's your BSA score? The Biology Skills Assessment is the only verified skills metric endorsed by the NAIA, NJCAA, and a growing number of NCAA coaches to discover and develop the best talent for your team. This four-minute, 40-shot test can be taken free today on the Biology mobile app. Elevate your game. But it's been a challenge. It really has. Changing changing a, a culture uh, is, oof. Um, I've just been blessed to walk into cultures where it's always been um, a successful culture and one that's, you know, winning is the expectation and this and that. Um, this one's been a challenge. I think Brian would be the first to tell you that. But that's that's part of the fun part. It's not always fun, but you just keep telling yourself it's part of the fun part. Yeah, it's just a different type of challenge. You, you know, you walk into a, like I talked with Coach Peeler, you walk into a Highland Park 
And the yeah. culture's already established. You know, sure. we're better than you and we know it. Like that's yeah. kind of what they're thinking. But then, but, but there, when I talked with him, there's, there's challenges in that as well. You know, sure. keeping that culture going, uh, uh, you know, the expectations that are there. One nice thing of coming into it, maybe a situation where you were is that expectations are pretty low. And so yeah, you right. can only go up at the beginning, but you also are fighting uh, uh, so many factors that, you know, maybe at places that you've previously been, you, you didn't have to fight. No, it's changing a culture is such a, and I wouldn't have, I didn't know this till you actually do it, but you know, when people talk about changing the culture, um, that's a very vague statement because there's, it depends on how much, how many facets are involved at the place that you're at that you're trying to change. And so, um, you know, we, there's a lot of positives where we're at. We work really good with our football staff, mm. uh, the head football coach there, uh, Coach Ab, John Ab is, is uh, a advocate for coaches and a defender of coach, all coaches. And so he's been good uh, to work with. It's just uh, the basketball program itself and, and trying to, to, you know, get kids to believe in the expectation of winning and that uh, and competing. That's the word is that, yeah. you know, when there's compete to win, don't just play to have fun. Um, and that's what we're, we're doing. And Brian has done a great job of inch by inch. It's been small baby steps, but, they're definitely steps moving in the right direction there and, uh, and kids um, uh, moving into play um, because they want to play at Boz and when they have those choices and, um, you know, selling out to a hoops program. Yeah. Make it to make, to put it on the map. And so um, that's not easy to do, but it's but been you're a right. You're right. That culture, it's not just, I mean, uh, Tyler Costin talked about the stakeholders that are are a part of your program it's not just the players and in my experience that m most players do want to do want to be successful to a certain point and then as a, a guy like you comes in and shows them a whole other level of competitiveness that they can get to but it's not just the players it's also the, the staff at the school maybe other sports the administration but then also and maybe most importantly a stakeholder in your culture is your parents and so right. getting them on board with the player and all of those pieces, you're right. I, I mean, how many years do you think it really takes to turn around a culture like that completely? Uh, I think that just depends on how many battles you're fighting to change the culture. You know, the mm -hmm. fewer the battles, the quicker that can happen. I mean, me, me and Brian came in with this tidal wave of success and we're going to change it quick. And we've realized after two years there, okay, you know, we may have to, to ride the, the slower roller coaster at six flags instead of the shockwave so um, how did you handle yeah. that was it like a humbling moment because uh, you, you you guys have you've had so much success I, wherever you are our first year there you know they hadn't been in the playoffs in a while and we go into the first year uh, not thinking i mean the first game we played uh argyle and got beat like 700 to four uh and i mean we're looking at each other going Oh my God! What what mm -hmm. we got to do here? Then, uh, but with the same group of kids, they go on uh, to to squeeze out a fourth place finish in a playoff play-in game with Chisholm Trail. I mean, they had no business being in the playoffs, but by the end of that year, um, that group had just bought into everything. And God, they you just look at them and be like, dude, this is not a playoff team in six A DFW basketball. And they they found a way to get in. So we were on a 
incredible high. And then, um, but sometimes the culture is still that, that prior culture or lack of culture is still there. And, um, you're trying to, uh, it kind of reality sets a little bit, but like I said, it's been, uh, it's been positive challenges. It hasn't been, right. you know, deep negativity. It, it, I don't want to paint it that way. It's just been something new to, I think both, both me and coach Blackburn. I, I bet it's, I bet it's even with, in 28 years of, of you doing this, it's, it's helped you grow in some areas that. Well, I, last yeah. year was the first year we didn't make the playoffs and that's the first year in my career that I've never made the playoffs. So that I've never had, I've never had that happen in 28. That last year is my 27th year. So yeah, uh, not a good a feeling you like having, but yeah, but, but, and it, but a great group of kids, like they were fun to coach and uh, they just, uh, it's just tough. It's not easy. Right. Makes you appreciate wins. Third year there, you know, and establishing this culture, what's one thing that makes your program different? Uh, well, that starts with the head coach. And so Brian is uh, a player's coach, man. I mean, he's young. He won't say he's young, but um, he's still banging threes in our players' faces like he's Steph Curry out there. I, I, I shake my head every time. I'm like, <laughs> the players will all look at me like, does this kid ever miss? So um, he uh, he's definitely a player's coach, uh, which is one of my most favorite, you know, appealing things about him is – He's not a dictator and he's not an old school coach that it's his way or the highway. He is a, um, he'll change, he'll completely change the program to fit the personnel that's coming in. And I don't know if a lot of coaches do that. Um, mm-hmm. I know some do, but I'm just saying some coaches make the players change how they play to sure. fit the system. And, um, you know, I think it, I think we're different in that it's, it really is a, a player led program. Um, and I think the players that have come over, and that are staying with us um, and haven't left um, have realized what team leadership really is. That if, you know, the players are the ones doing the leading, you're going to be very successful at what you do. And so this group of kids that we have right now um, is really a core group. They're really fun to coach. Uh, They're talented. Um, You know, they're not, they're not uh, as talented as some of the teams we've had in the past by any means. But they are skilled and they work hard. They're there every morning. When when we're there, they, when we're there, they're already there. We get there early, um, and then you know you got to kick them out in the afternoon. And they can play a little bit. And um, they realize that you know Brian and our program is truly a one team program. It's one team is kind of a motto that we kept through the Flower Mound Marcus State days, which is trying to get the kids to pull for each other instead of pulling for themselves. And that's a hard battle you're fighting with society right now. But I think we're different in that way. Um, Coach, I think what are some ways that you create that? Because you're right. That is for every team dynamic, program dynamic. I mean, that's a battle. How do you get it, them believing it, in that? You know, the bottom line answer to that, Danny Henderson says this the best, and he's absolutely true. No one wants to admit it, but um, you have to win. You have to win. Um, you have to win games to validate what you're selling to kids because you're battling the Xbox, the social media, uh, the girlfriends, the, you know, everything else that you're battling, those are hard battles um, to win. And, and so, they'll continue, they'll continue to do the hard things if they're seeing sure. I mean, results benefit, right? Yeah. Everybody loves to win. And so if, if you're selling those things and you're not winning, it becomes very tough to sell those and win that battle. So, you know, 
you got to win to win those battles. And that doesn't mean that you can't be an influence on kids' lives. Right. And that can't, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean that angle of it from a coach to player, but to build your program successfully, uh, kids have to be in the gym and they have to put the phones down and they have to, to step away from the girlfriend every now and then. And they have to, you know, commit to it. I mean, in, in these days, especially the, you know, DFW, Houston, you know, San Antonio, the big city areas where AAU, you know, kids are trying to be seen in the competition is off the charts. Um, you're playing year round now. Um, and so there really is more than just a high school commitment. You know, you got your AAU and your fall league and all that stuff. So two seasons, they have two seasons now. Yeah. So, um, you know, they're, you're going to have to sell, you know, you got to win. You got to win. win. Winning, you know, helps you battle those battles and win, and win the battles of everything that you're fighting against to try to instill your culture and instill competition in your program to, to win. So, and that's what we're kind of battling with right now at, at, uh, at Boswell because we're hammering home the, you know, the commitment, the excellence in the classroom, the, you know, the pillars of our program, of, of Coach Blackburn's program. Um, and, you know, we're 50-50 on, you know, you win one, you lose one, you win one, you lose one. And so once you turn that corner, though, it becomes very contagious. Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to do is, is turn that corner to where we get consistently, uh, you know, in a winning program. And, you know, that's not easy to do, but that's definitely our goal. And, and Brian and us, especially Brian, is really committed all out to doing that. So um, we're a very organized program. Um there's no hidden, nothing hidden in our program. Like the kids know exactly what's happening. The kids lead that. We have a players lounge, a varsity players lounge that's got, we try, you know, everything Brian does that we do in our program is kind of like geared towards college. So it's got like a refrigerator, microwave, LED lighting, 60, 70 inch TV, all these consoles in there. Um, you know, just another selling point to get kids to the gym and hang out with each other uh, so that the team means something to them. And, um, you know, we're about to go to the state fair, uh, here in a couple of weeks. And we did that last year with our, our guys and, you know, just as many fellowship things as you can do, uh, to make those guys care and love for each other so that when they get on the floor and the times are not easy, um, they won't be arguing, but they'll be pulling together because that's how you're going to win. Yeah. So two things I wanted to ask. One is about with winning, how important then is scheduling? And I'm not saying scheduling light, but if you want to create this winning culture, obviously you could schedule all horrible teams and then sure. maybe build this false sense of confidence that you are something, or even worse, that players will realize we're not playing anybody good. This, is, this isn't this is helping us either. But right. how important, cause, or you could go the route. I've had other coaches tell me, uh, schedule hard schedule hard get your you know in a sense get your brains beat in but right. it'll make them tougher for district so when you're talking about winning helps what's the balance there yeah that completely depends on the squad that you have um so there's no uh there's no cookie cutter answer to that um i mean when we when we had smart and lucky and banyard and forte and you know that team that went 115 and 6 in three years, you know, that, that final year we played an ESPN schedule. I mean, we were playing Finley prep and Montrose and, you know, had four games on ESPN. We played a brutal schedule, absolutely brutal. Um, but we kind of had to, because we had just won state the year before uh, we went 38 and two 
the prior year. So how do you motivate a team yeah. that just won the state championship that went 38-2 and you got them all back? And so it just depends on your team. That squad, we just loaded it up because we knew that we were going to be okay in district. And so let's go, let's go create a new challenge for these guys. And, you know, you can't not get hyped if you're playing on ESPN. And so that's one scenario. Or like in our scenario at Boswell, you know, you don't want to go schedule that kind of a schedule and get your, as you said, your brains beat in and start district, you know, oh, and, you know, two and 10 or something. So there's a balance. It just depends on really the coaching philosophy and it depends on your district. I mean, if you've got a, a completely brutal district, you definitely probably don't want to schedule a, a ridiculously tough pre district, um, thinking that that's going to, because, you know, you're just tired going in or you're risking injury. Um, if you've got a – our district's kind of half and half. Of course, North Crowley is the lead at the top. Um, and so, you know, the top end of our district's pretty loaded, very difficult games to win. You know, the bottom part, everybody's in it. And so, you know, we'll we'll schedule tough tournaments, but also tournaments that we feel like we can compete in and give our kids a chance as long as we, you know, execute what we're doing. So um, – and then he'll – you know, Brian will schedule one or two really tough ones, and he'll schedule, you know, one or two that we think we can, if we play what, you know, we're capable of playing, we can go get a win. So there's a balance there. It just depends on your squad. How good is your squad and how good is your district? I think those are the two determining factors on how you schedule. Jeff Clarkson uh, made a comment when I when I got to talk with him about how it feels like now so much out there is about recruiting, right? And you you've said it a couple times. Guys leave, some guys come. We want right. our guys to stay here. You're doing a lot of things to help create that. And, and Clarkson said, you know, it's now you have to think about recruiting your own players, meaning you've got to do a really good job of creating an atmosphere where guys want to stay. And it sounds like you guys are doing that with not just your culture of excellence that you have, but also, you know, the locker room that you've set up. But what are your thoughts on, because even at private school, we, we lose players as well. Sure. You know, to other places. So it is this idea of what can we do to keep our guys here? Um, yeah, you know, used to just you could be a, a great coach that everybody liked. And now these days, especially if you're in a metroplex, yeah, uh, a big city area where AAU is high. Um, and it's not just a knock on AAU because I'm a huge, huge proponent of AAU. Some of my very best friends are AAU. Uh, directors Bonzel with Southern Assault is one of my good good friends. So, um, uh, you you know you have to you have to win. I still think that's you, you got to find a way to win. Um, that that's the number one attractor of kids and keeping kids where you're at. Um, but I think a bigger one is you know private school, and and maybe you can disagree with me on this, but you know you went to the colony, you went to public school. That atmosphere of a winning high school is hard to beat. Mm. Um, you know, there's it's just a different atmosphere of a private or an AAU event versus, um, you know, a five A six A high school whose football team is bringing, you know, eleven thousand kids to the game and the band and then the, everyone's coming to the volleyball games. Everybody's going to the. And I'm not saying it's not like that. I mean, I mean, you could both name ten private schools right now where they're absolutely ruthless, the fans, and it's packed like that. But across the board, the high school experience um, from football to, to everything that's involved with sports and athletics is uh, hard to beat. And so what we've tried to do at Boswell 
is just create a culture where all those kids are supporting each other. Um, the, the basketball kids are genuinely and authentically pulling for the football guys to win on Friday night uh, and the volleyball girls and going to those games and, and showing true authentic, not just going, but, you know, really getting into it. And you, for, that's fun for the kids, first of all. And then when that when that favor is returned and that atmosphere is created, you know, on Tuesday and Friday nights for basketball, um, that's something that is hard to beat, you know, when you're competing with, you know, charter schools or, or uh, other schools that could be pulling. But, yeah, you're right. Um, it's just the time that we live. And I don't really dislike it. I'll be honest with you. Um, I've, I've been on every end of the spectrum with recruiting to be accused of recruiting. The, I mean, I, I, you name it. We were on the front page of the Dallas Morning News. So um, I've seen it all. And, um, you know, and it's all most of it's a bunch of BS. But yeah. I've just never gotten all upset about that kind of stuff. I feel like you, you got to sell your program, you know, quit worrying about other people's programs and do everything you can to sell your program so the kids want to come. And then the key word is what you said, stay, stay at your program. Yeah. That's yeah. So, but winning, I mean, we can stay here. And talk. <laughs> it keeps going back we to that. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I have kind of two thoughts, two thoughts on it. Um, one, obviously, yeah, the differences between, I mean, being at the colony and I was also at McKinney high school. So, and and name and force, so you know, I'm I'm still feel like I'm a public school guy at yeah. a private school. I just happen to love the mission of our school because sure. it is a private Christian school, but we we do live out that name as well. Yeah, and so sure. it, you know, it, it I love the mission of the school, and it's not necessarily to uh, it, it it's a different I'll just say a different mission, and so there there's there's definitely a difference between the atmosphere that a bigger i mean 3000 plus kids school can bring i mean it's just hard to it's hard yeah. to f combat that um but at the same time you know still trying to create like you had mentioned a program that guys are proud of love to be a part of and want to stay the other thing i was thinking is is that you really do more than ever before have to be conscious of is the, the style of play, the skill work, the services. I mean, honestly, look at the services that I'm providing, not just on the floor, but also into their lives, how I'm speaking to their lives. One, you got to make sure that that, that, is, that is creating an environment where they feel valued. And again, that has, that's where I think a lot of kids want us to feel valued. But also, I've, I've decided to quit being surprised anymore. Yeah. Like, stop being shocked anymore. Yeah. When the season's over, we go through our spring, and I love the way we go through our spring. But when because we we actually try at faith, you know, we we secure that re-enrollment for next year pretty early. Right. And so I'll know if you know I'll get an email or a call like, hey, so and so they have not they have right. not said they're coming back. And I just have to stop being su surprised because you're right. You, I don't really mind the fact that kids can move around from place to place, especially when just like in college, if they truly feel like there is a better situation for them and they're able to do that within the rules, that's okay. That's okay. But I have to stop getting butt hurt when, yeah. <laughs> when they leave I, as if it's an attack on me. 
exactly. most of the time has nothing to do with me. It feels like it is, but that's not necessarily. So it's just taking me 10 years to get there, man. 10 different. years. I, I mean, I'm getting out. This will be my last year, I believe. But we're at a time uh, where young coaches, which it's a good thing. We need more young coaches um, instead of old parts like me and everyone else. But um, it's just a, it's a, you know, the UIL in general and public education in general, it is a very pivotal point for them. Um, turning point like they we're gonna have to adjust or we're gonna get beat and that's just the bottom line and um, by that i mean they're gonna have to get outside the box of uh especially with the nil stuff um and everything that's there with that um you can either hate that and knock it or embrace it and find a way to use it to your advantage um and you know we're gonna either do that or we're not and i feel like if we just stick to how it's always been uh you know both those organizations that I just mentioned are, are, I mean, parents are going to move their kids to the best situation that they can that gives their kid the best chance to succeed at whatever else they're trying to do. And that's the bottom line. And, you know, we can be mad at that and take, like you said, how many times have we taken it personal? Like, they yeah. attack the, you know, the reality is, no, it, they're just, you know, they're moving on, and so you have to, yeah, you have to, to move on quickly, or be mad about it. Let your whole program suffer. I mean, coaches, the Jamoti Podcast is powered by Shoot Three Hundred and Sixty. The future of basketball has arrived in Dallas Fort Worth. Shoot Three Hundred and Sixty combines the latest sports technology with the fundamentals of basketball skill development. The result is a one-of-a-kind video game-like basketball program designed to improve your shooting, dribbling, and passing. Visit Shoot360DFW.com to learn more and register for your free one-hour workout evaluation. Shoot360, the future of basketball is here. You are a defensive guru, and as you told me when you emailed me back, uh, none of my questions that I send out to coaches really have anything to do with defense. Every time you touched it, you you just wanted the ball. You and Brian Blackburn are the same. Well, in college, I had a change, though, Coach. I had a shift because I couldn't score in college like I did in high school. So I, I, I'm two, two sides to that. But I, I'm going to ask you a question that is a first in the Jamoti podcast. I haven't asked anybody in over the, the 100 episodes I've recorded. So how do you create a dynamic defensive culture? Uh, first and foremost, that's, I can, you can tell you how quick I believe in this is an instant answer, the weight room. That's where it all starts. And so it starts in the weight room because, um, you know, your strength as an individual, um, and I can name you 10 players right now who this applies to the most noteworthy would be Philip Forte. Hmm. Um, what you lack in athleticism, which in basketball, the primary athleticism is going to be your left-to-right quickness and your vertical quickness. That's that's the two big ones in basketball. Is how quick can you move, you know, horizontally left-to-right, and how how fast and quick can you jump vertically as far as height. So, um, where you lack in athleticism, you make up for with strength. And so, um, if you're not the fastest, quickest left-to-right guy um, defensively, then you better find a way to be so strong that you can. Um, legally hold, am I allowed to say that? <laughs> um, hold your own um, and build a wall where people can't get by you. And then, of course, the head hunting and all that we call blockouts, head hunts, but the blockouts and things like that. 
And so your, our culture and every culture I've ever been a part of, including all the way back with Danny, uh, even um, Jerry Havens at Louisville, when I, back when I first started coaching in 1996. Um, you know, and when I was in high school, there was no weight program. So, you know, weights, when I was in high school, that was not a thing. Um, and now, as you know, there's no pro successful program that doesn't have a strength and conditioning program. But our defense starts in the weight room. And so we lift three times a week. We've got all types of stuff that we do in the weight room. Uh, we use uh, Todd Wright, who used to be at the University of Texas, and then he followed Rick Barnes to Tennessee. Uh, we still use a lot of his uh, sports-specific movement stuff. Um, we, most importantly, we use his predictive max. We don't do true maxes. Uh, but we get the kit. We have a ranking system. Um, you know, the strongest kid in the programs, the, the Gold Star General. And then they wear those shirts. And, you know, it goes all the way down to the sergeant. If, so if you're an officer, you break a, the thousand or you break a certain amount on on your point system that we have that I, if anybody wants, I can share with them. Uh, but that all starts. So defense is here. Uh, it's all mental. Um, not a lot of people want to play defense. So we just start in the weight room because the weight room will show instant results. Like you'll see results instantly in the weight room. The mirror does not lie. So we push nutrition. We have a whole nutritional program for our players. That's another way I think we're different. By the way, you asked earlier, how are we different? Like we do seminars on nutrition um, and we push it. Like our kids, since I've been at Boz, I haven't, since the first month that, that I was there, I haven't seen one kid with a soda pop. Can't like every now and then candy, but they, they know they better not be caught with drink like soda pop, Cokes and things like that. Um, most of our guys are carrying around jugs of water. So that's all a shift in mentality. And, They'll start buying into that because they'll see results in the mirror. Everybody wants to look good, and a high school kid does. And so you'll get that mentality of them feeling good about themselves and feeling confident about themselves. And, you know, they used to weigh 110 pounds, and now we've got them up to 140, 150, 160. And then so now they feel mentally strong, and then you carry that to the court, and it's an easy transition. And so, I mean, we can sit here all day and talk defense, but if you want me to simply ask your question, where does that start? Where does the bulldog mentality on defense start? And that's no secret. It's nothing that I've done. It's every program does this is uh, absolutely the weight room, 100%. At this point, our kids have total control of the weight room. Like, we don't have to do much. They lead it. They're there on time for stretching. They get it in. They get it done. And that's just a big deal. How long did it take you to get that culture in? Because, you know, outside, I think, I think basketball players now, are more open to lifting, you know, and social media has helped with they that. All, yeah, they all are. No, it, it I mean, it, it, I can sit here and talk all down it, but like, let me give you like an example. So they, you know, they start, they're all going to get strong. You can't not get strong if you're lifting. And so you got them on a routine, you know, we'll spend the first, we don't do it anymore because we've now got that whole process started over three years. But, you know, we started with uh, Todd Wright's plate cycle. Um, which I, I've been using for years to get their body balance right, their form right, their breathing right, everything like that. But anyway, once they start getting strong and now you're on the floor, they're they're going to get every 50-50 ball because you're going to tell them that's that's weak. Like, that's weak sauce. Or I'll just yell weight room. You know, me and Coach Blackman, if a kid gets blown by, uh, you know, off the dribble, if a kid gets out-rebounded, if a kid – misses a 50-50 ball or gets yanked away from it. We just have two words, weight room. That's all we'll say. And that's – everyone in there knows what we're saying. Like, you just – really, you're weak? Like, we're not – are you kidding me? You're not weak. 
And so you don't have to say that very much because those kids, what it becomes is a fight. And so that's that's kind of what we're pushing for. Not not a true fight, but an absolute battle for boards and loose 50-50 balls and shot contests and headhunting, blocking out every time. Those four things require no athleticism, none. Selling out on a shot contest, headhunting. We call, we call blocking out headhunting. Blocking out um, your first step on defense because that's the most critical step. Your second step is not the most important step. The first step, either left or right on defense, is the absolute critical step. And so you don't have to be fast. You just have to be strong for one step. And so, you know, all that transpires over on our defense. And so, so once those kids start feeling good about themselves in the weight room, they start developing pride. And so you carry that over to our defense and the same word pops up pride. And so now they take pride in your defense when they start seeing that the defense is the weight room. You're not going to get by me because I'm stronger than you. You're not going to get out rebounded because I'm stronger than you. You're not going to get that 50, 50 ball because I'm stronger than you. And I'm not going to miss a shot contest because I'm not weak. Like it's good. So in our pack line defense, those are just kind of, that just kind of gives you the four defensive examples of how the weight room mentally transpires over to, to the defensive side of it. And then we're hard on them on defense. I'm very hard on them because um, defense is easier to coach. Defense, is, you know, when I was the head coach at Duncanville, I realized real quick when you're the head guy and you're coaching both sides of the ball, offense is very, very subjective because you the defense can change. And if you're coaching offense, you have to be flexible. You know, are they running? Are they going to trap this possession? Are they switched over to a zone? They're now they're manning. So offense is super subjective. And then defense is very objective. Defense yeah. is very cool. Our defense is very rural. It's all rules. It doesn't change much. Like we do what we do and we're not going to change much. We'll, we'll change scout reports some for scout reports, but it's black and white. So offense and defense are so very different. One is subjective, one's ob- objective. And so because defense is so ob- objective and rule oriented, we're very tough on them. Cause if you break the rules, you're going to get, you're going to hear it. Um, you know, offense, I mean, if North Crowley's trapping you out of the timeout and you didn't expect it, I mean, no one broke the rules. <laughs> you just, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, it's offense different. too, offense too. I mean, a great possession doesn't always lead in a bucket because exactly. the goal of every offensive possession is to get the best shot as fast as possible with hopefully one of your best scores taking it. And, sure. and But those best scores aren't, aren't going to hit every time. But if you're resulting on every possession, so uh, to me, offensively, at the offensive side, there is this kind of freer mindset of we can still be successful even though we're not seeing the results we want this time. But you're right, the defensive side, it's you either did it or you did not do it. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't, I don't know many coaches who run defense that it is. I mean, no one wrote, no, no one runs a, you know, a, a free pass defense. I mean, you well, everyone only goes, in the Grinnell system, only in the Grinnell system, which. Uh-oh. I did mess with that a little bit, but it almost got me fired. Or matchup zone or one three one. And there's all those things have rules. And so the defensive side of the ball is a little bit easier and more fun to coach, because in my opinion, Blackburn would argue it because Brian loves offense. But it's I can I can see very easily if you messed up. Whereas offense, you know, that's not what what do you, what is a mess up on a, a missed shot? I mean, come on, you don't know what a there's so many different definitions. Well, even and offensively, there's intent. Like if their if their intent is to do what you're wanting them to do, but yeah. yeah, like it. So I I I love that part of it and and, te- and helping them work through that. Um, well, yeah, 
Brian would, we don't want rules on offense. Like, cause Brian is a, is a very freedom offense guy. He wants players to make decisions and have the freedom to make mistakes, you know? And yeah, they're just, we play two very different sides and it actually, me and him have to coordinate a lot together because our styles of play on both sides of the ball because pack line slows the game down. Yeah. Um, Cause it's harder to score better. It better be harder to score on. And so well, without a shot clock, your, your goal is to keep them from having some type of advantage, right? Yeah. I, I want to ask you that question. Guys, you know, that was a high potent offense, but a lot of times our, our, our score, you know, the score of our games, even on those that nationally number one nationally ranked team was, you know, we'd win a game 50 to 30 or 48 to 36. And people are like, God, y'all just play slow. Like, no, it's like, we just play such great defense. Those guys are playing 30, 40, 50, 60 second possession defense, defense or offensive possessions against our defense. And so pack line slows the game down for sure. And that, that means you better have quality shots on offense, you know? And so how do you guys, how do you guys uh, deal with that? Because over the years at faith, I, I've experimented with a lot of different types of defenses. Offensively, we've pretty much been the same since day one, 12 seconds or less best shot as fast as possible and defining what that is defensively is where I've had to, I mean, we've been pressing, uh, pressing sometimes uh, cons- constantly, uh, no stops, any, any part of the court ev- make or miss, or then we've gone back to pack line. What I noticed is when we went to pack line, like you just said, our scores plummeted. And as a team that offensively wants to run and gun, I, I felt like my players were really struggling to do both if the styles were so different. So how do you guys deal with that? Uh, well, yeah, you're, you know, Packline's completely built on data. And so everything Packline's done is done on percentages. And so that's why it's called Packline. You're playing from the arc in and you're, you know, Packline encourages the pull-up. You know, you want the ball to be put on the floor. So that's, that's why we don't close out. We don't close out on shooters. We sell out. Like We're, we're going to launch in the air. Because we want you to shot fake and put the ball on the floor. And so, because the percentages drop immediately. The right. second the floor in high school, that percentage drops almost 20%. So, you know, you're going from a 50%, a, you know, a Phil Forte, Steph Curry type shooter, 48% three point shooter who shot fakes and brings it down, puts the ball on the floor to the pull up. You know, you're now immediately dropping that percentage into 20%. You know, so um, it's all data pack lines all data and percentage based and so you're you're going to really force the offense to be patient or you're going to you're going to dominate them but by forcing them to be patient you're you're shortening the game i mean and so yeah it does make it a little tougher um you know you just gotta at the end of the day i don't know you probably need to ask brian this more but i mean he he's like you it's a 12 second rule um but with with him, it's a very defined who's shooting it, where there's and where they're shooting it, and then time and score. So it's who's shooting the ball, where are you shooting it from, and then time and score. Those are kind of the the driven, you know, bullet points on whether or not we're going to shoot it in that twelve second time. And he'll do whatever it takes to win. And so offensively, he switched up styles a little bit this year on offense, and. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna switch up some things on defense too a little bit. I mean we're we're pack line all the way, but uh, just try to find ways to to put our kids in the best possible position to 
to win games because all of our games are going to be close. We're just not a team that is going to go out and blow people out. Yeah. So we got to find ways. Last year, you know, we found ways to lose way too many games by two, three, four points. Mm. And that's just so discouraging. And so this year it's all about, you know, defensively, everybody's got to do their job every time. Not just, you know, everyone's got to do their job every time. And then offensively, it's value the basketball. I mean, no, you know, no turnovers. Value, value, value the basketball. I think you did, you answered the question, though, and, and you've said this all throughout our talk. How can a style like pack line and then offensively, you know, what coach is trying to do, how can that work together? Well, it, it'll work if you win. Like, if it helps you to win, it'll work. It, it, your players will buy into it. Your players will believe that this is good and what you're doing it makes sense if you yeah. win. Here's the battle with pack line. And if anyone's ever run it, as long as I've run it, they'll know what I'm talking about. But the battle with pack line is pack line is not a defense that's built to beat, you know, a lot of your pre-district teams. It's just not. Pack line's built to beat the best teams in the state. That's what pack line is. Um, it's it's built to have your six foot three wing guy guard Fort Ben Travis's six eight guy. That's what pack line is. It's when you walk out on the floor and you know you've got a really good squad and you're playing Duncanville or somebody. You're not you athletically you're you're done. Like skill wise, you're probably look we're done. Like we have no chance. Pack line defensively gives you that chance. Uh, it offsets the the post advantage that they might have. It offsets the 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 drive attack, the downhill drive attack by their best guards. It offsets that. Hundred percent, it does. It can. It does. So that's what pack line's built for. The struggle that pack line presents itself is when you're playing teams that are as equal or maybe not as good as you, because you may not want to do pack line. Because you're going to slow the game down. If you're slowing a game out against a team that's not as good as you, you're giving that team yeah a better chance to win. And yeah, so, you want more possessions. Yeah, if you're so, the better team. And that's what me and Brian are toying with right now. This this year, what what are we going to do different? And so, uh, but our but our staple is still pack line. Uh, I'm a huge believer in it. And so I get that. You you know your dynamic that you two have is is unique. You know Wes Watson and I had that at McKinney where he gave yeah. me the offense. He was the defensive guy, but luckily he wanted to press. So my dribble drive running down shooting threes really, really worked well together. Yeah. But here at Faith, you know, I've I've been, you know, I'm the only full-time guy. All my other assistants are part-time. So I'm very thankful for the time that they give. But yeah. decisions a lot of time the of what we're doing is it's up to me. It's right. so I felt my I felt this uh conflict with those years we were doing pack line and even uh some some three two at times, but a very condensed three two. I'm telling you, coach, like I was sitting there on the bench watching offensive possessions from the other team go for 45 seconds to a minute. And you would be proud of how we were closing off things. They they just couldn't do anything, couldn't run. But I'm staring at the clock and I look over at my assistant coach and I say, We're playing too good of a defense right now. <laughs> and he looked at me with this, like, he's a defensive guy, but a look of horror. But my whole idea is it, it was, I could, the other side of me that wanted to get that ball back, so itchy to get it back, was dying inside. And it was it was hurting that side of the game. So there is this, like, you guys, the way that you created the dynamic between the two of you and made it work, to me, is really unique. It's taken me some time to find a defensive style 
that I'm comfortable with that I think allows us to get the stops that are necessary to win games, but it accelerates and feeds into what we want to do uh, offensively. But it's taken about, it took me seven years to get there. It, you know, Pac-Line probably works best with teams that run a secondary break. Look, you know, they're looking for a primary or a quick secondary. And if they don't get that, that's the 12 seconds, basically. The primary plus secondary. That's kind of, that's been, you probably, your your best bet is to, to be a quick hitter team or a sets team. Because if you're a continuity team, well, crap, you may take a minute to score. Well, then you're going to come, if you're a quick shooting team, well, crap, you're, all you're doing is playing defense. So it's the balance, eight to six at halftime. Here we go. Balance is, is, you know, a primary secondary break. And if you, you know, you're not getting high quality shots out of it, then settle into, you know, a quick hitter. Because, you know, quick, quick hitter, which some, you know, Brian likes it and doesn't like it. Um, because he, he wants, he loves the freedom of the player. He, he loves teaching, you know, player, to, he loves doing player development from a mental standpoint, like how, how to do this, if they do this, what do you do if they do this? And so he loves that, let the, the players have the freedom of movement in an offense. And so, you know, yeah. when you're doing sets, you're the court, you're dictating who's shooting where. You're joysticking, you're joysticking yeah. your players. The Jamoti Podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities, and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. So th this question I've been wanting to ask you for, for a long time, and, and just happens that we'll do it right here. So I don't know if you remember, man, I think I was at Name and Forest. This was 06, 07, you know, maybe around <laughs> that time. All right. You texted me something, and you said, Phil Forte is the hardest working player in America. And out of the blue, you texted me that. And, and I mean, you know me and my yeah. history as a player. And unfortunately, I wasn't very mature, even though I was high school or I was a high school coach at that point with Clarkson at Naaman Forest. I took offense to that. And I asked you, and I said, okay, what does that mean? And you said, you know, I remember that. I remember that. 750 shots. I've told this story, coach. I do a lot of shooting camps and yeah. I tell this story at every camp that I'm in. It's the Phil Forte story. And, uh, and I just tell them about, he said, you know, 750. And I said, okay, 750 over the week. That's not bad. You say, no, 750 every day. And I was like, okay, that's a lot, but he must mean during the summer. And you came back with this, this text that just, it, it, it really hurt my feelings. You said, you said, no, Matt, 750 every day in season, out of season. And that's just a level of work, a level of dedication that I didn't do. And I and I, it's hard to say that because I feel like that was you know we all get known for as as players we're known for something and and I feel yeah. like that was my thing was I'm a hard worker I'm going to put in more time than anybody else and he did so my question to you is what made Phil Forte just so different as a high school player? Um, well. First, I we use you know we still use his name because you know Phil's an active D one coach right now at St. Louis, and so he's still very relevant. He's still one of my great friends. In fact, me and him just went to one of his teammates on that state championships wedding, nice in in Leonard, uh, literally two days ago, and so um, and then his dad and me are, are very very best friends um, and talk daily, um, and so 
I, that, that Phil Forte comparison standard uh, that, you know, we're not going to be able to use that much longer because he'll, he'll get old one day and get married and all that, but he's still relevant and some people still heard of him and then they can look him up right now and still see, see what he does. I think that's a very, uh, it's just abnormal, Matt. Like you, we could sit here and say, this is how we want you to be. If you could be this guy, but what he did is not normal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I can give you, I mean, Matt, at the at, at prom, he left prom early his junior year to go to the gym and shoot at 11 p.m. Prom started at 10. He left his date at 10.45. And I'm not joking. That's a true story. And so I don't know many kids that would do I wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that's just an abnormal desire. Like, uh, he just had a, a desire to be – great and to have something to prove you know he's always um shadowed um from the recruiting angle because everybody was you know saying this or that uh to try to get smart um and you know oklahoma state was really the only big you know tier level d1 school that sincerely and authentically recruited him not because they also wanted smart because they knew they were best friends and so that's the whole reason that Phil went there was because it was an authentic and genuine re, uh, recruitment from Travis Ford. And then, I, and then that is also why smart went there because they saw how tr they treated Phil and smart said, you know, told Roy Williams and everybody else. No. And they're like, are you kidding me? Like, no, I'm going here because of how they treated my, if they treat my friend like that, how are they going to treat me? So mm. that's kind of a backstory on how smart ended up on, on, uh, at OSU. That's interesting. He had he had everybody else offered, yeah, North Carolina, all of them, and so he turned all them down simply because they saw how they treated his best friend Philip. But um, he Matt, he just was a different dude uh, when it came to work ethic. Um, he always had a chip on his shoulder, as if he had something that he had to prove. Um, and then, of course, his dad was a huge driving force on commitment. You know, his dad was a D one um, college uh, tight end. Um, you know, he, he just comes from athletic stock, uh, high level athletic stock. So the work ethic and what it takes to get to the next level, we, we didn't teach that kid that that kid, Philip already had that. Um, we just got lucky enough to, to have him, you know, we were blessed enough to have him. Um, but he was doing that, um, you know, ever since, ever since we knew him, I mean, you know, he had a key to the gym at Flower Mount Marcus. I mean, it might have been illegal, but we don't care. Yeah, yeah. If kid wants to come shoot at the gym, by God, come shoot at the gym. I don't care. Shouldn't be a rule against that one. But yeah, um, he did whatever he wanted because um, it was always the right thing, never the wrong thing. I mean, he's on the gun constantly, constantly. Uh, never had a girlfriend. I think that's a key factor. Let me say that once again. Never had a girlfriend in high school. So had plenty of opportunities, but his girlfriend was that round ball. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of kids aren't willing to do that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with kids. There's nothing wrong with that statement. Some kids are just not, they're not willing to give up that level of commitment. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he wasn't. And had he not done that, I don't think he would have been a player. Um, you know, he just, he, Athletically, he wasn't the most athletic kid out there. Um, he didn't have the height. Um, and so he knew he had some things working against him. And so, by God, he was going to find a way to 
have something that you cannot take off the floor. You can't, if you can shoot the ball, you're going to be on the floor. And yeah. that's with his that's, speed and with his range that he had. And, but you know, but going back to your weight room thing, like I was amazed watching him because I feel like I watched him and your whole team, you know, over those years, watch them grow. And from as sophomores, they were really good, but sophomores yeah. and then became juniors strong and then seniors, like, grown men but that goes back to your weight room thing I, I feel like that's a he's a great example of a player maximizing the ceiling that he had kept you know at oklahoma state you know d1 they're in there daily and so he kept his weight routine and his nutritional routine i don't know if i ever saw him eat candy i'm dead serious like nothing went in that like everything he did was geared towards i gotta find an advantage to get to the next level. And so, and had he not done one of those, I don't know if he would. So every little thing that he did, 750 shots a day, uh, getting up before everybody else gets up, uh, the, the nutrition plan he was on, uh, eight hours of rest every night, um, two gallons of water every day, uh, ball handling routine every day. Um, if he takes one of those equations out, yep. just one, I don't think he makes it. Whereas, you know, if Smart takes one of those out, he's going to be okay. And so Phil just didn't have that luxury. And so he made dang sure that he didn't squander that opportunity. But he he was a different cat, man. But uh, what I was going to tell you is, you know, as he continued that strength development in his college career, you know, he, he ended up leading Oklahoma State. He set the record in steals. Hmm. Phil, like, you wouldn't think that, Phil. But he, he actually, through his strength, became a very athletic uh, player, believe it or not. And so um, that's kind of a cool stat. You would have never thought he'd lead a team in steals. But that's – because he's a little bit more athletic than maybe people gave him credit for. But he, um, you know, it, you just got to look at the gifts that you have. And if you're lacking in some areas, um, then you got to find ways to offset those deficiencies. Um, and, you know, you're not going to be able, players think that they can work on their deficiencies. I, that's not necessarily true. If you're not good at something, you might want to stay away from it and find something else to be really good at that will offset what you're not good at. And so if you're not a very high jumper, if you're not a very quick player, you know, instead of going and spending, and, and we can get into this conversation, but I won't, but like, instead of spending <laughs> an, an hour a day on, on agility to try to get a half inch vertical yeah, jump. Yeah, one to 2% better. Yeah. So you're spending an hour a day, five days a week, so that in one year you can jump, jump half an inch higher. How about you spend one hour a day and put 700 shots up a day, and I promise you, That'll keep you on the floor a lot quicker than your half-inch vertical that you increase. So I've never been – I mean, actually, in my early days, I believed it. And in my latter days, I've realized all that time to try to get quicker and all that time to try to jump higher. Um, my, Me personally, and nothing against anyone that believes this, but, like, I, I'm at a point where I'd rather spend a, a massive amount of time that it takes just to see a little bit of increased agility quickness. I'd rather take that massive time you're spending just to get a little bit quicker and put shots up. Because you can't take a shooter off the floor. No. I'll, I'll tell you a story just real quick. Go back to when I was 9 or 10 years old in Pennsylvania, working out with my first skills coach ever. His name's Coach John with Pro Shot. And I, one day I came to him. We were only doing ball handling, shooting, and offensive mind, which it's, it's individual skill. Yeah. And I said, you know, Coach, we I don't feel like I'm a very good defender. You know, can we work on that? And he said, and this was in the mid-90s. So he said, Matt, what is Steve Kerr known for? And I said, well, he's a really good shooter. He's like, you know what? He can defend too. 
and he can also handle it. He can also pass it, but he is a knockdown shooter. Yeah. He's like, we're going to focus on that. <laughs> and, 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 but you know, it, it's, he's, it's just what you said. Like I, I had to choose that even at that point, I mean, I was already, I, I could tell I wasn't going to be the fastest guy or, you know, the quickest or jump the highest, but what I could do with that ball allowed me to get to Baylor. And then like Phil Forte, the, through the weight room, what you had said early on about defense being here. I mean, if, if you're tough enough and smart and, and and willing to go a little bit more than that, do, I mean, that's how you guard Andre Emmett, Kareem yeah. Rush, Kirk Heinrich, even though he torched me. But, like, you know, that's how you guard those guys yeah. without much any gifts there. But you, for those high school players out there, it, it, you could in high school be an amazing defensive player. But if you can't put the ball in the hole, it just may be hard for that to translate. It's hard to put you on the floor. Yeah. You can you can hide defense a little bit, but you know, you can't hide if you're a bad shooter. That's right. Scout report, every coach in America is not gonna if you can't shoot it, then you're playing you're playing four on five. Hey, let's go uh speed round. I've known you for I don't know, almost twenty, twenty five years. But after the speed round, quick questions, first thing that it comes to your head. Just blurt it out. I'm going to know you even better. You ready? Okay. Favorite ice cream flavor? Uh, butter pecan bluebell. How many hours of sleep do you need? We kind of talked about that. It, minimal seven, eight for sure. Best basketball movie of all time? Oh, Coach Carter. Oh, that's a new one. I like that. Yeah, I love that one. Have you ever wanted to discipline a player like he did in the gym that day? When he puts him up against the wall, because the guy took a swing at him. No comment. <laughs> uh, for high school, shot clock or no shot clock? No shot clock. I I can justify it in ten seconds. Go ahead. It just makes the game funner, but it's not. Here's the deal: if you if you use the shot clock because you want it, then I'm, I, we can talk all day. But I hate people say we need it. No, we don't. The right. game is. Game it was just fine in its purest form, and so when we add all these extra things, we're just trying to make a shot clock for the offense. That's all it is. So it's a disadvantage just to take away, you know. So it's if you're saying that it would make it more fun and the game more enjoyable, okay, we can go, we can talk all day on that. But it's not needed. Yeah, you're right about that, Coach Matt. I've coached for 28 years, and I can count on this many fingers how many games I've watched with stall ball. So everybody says, oh, there's stall ball. Well, I've coached for 28 years, and I, I can't name you five games that I've watched where it was just stall ball. I had. And so yeah. I don't think we should put it in because there's those coaches that do stall ball. Well, I've seen a whole lot of games in my 28 years, and I can't count on, on one hand how many that I've just seen them stall ball. I have. And, and in all of those games of stall ball, there's another team on the floor that's allowing that to happen yeah. as well. But I'm just looking at their argument of stall ball. I, I, I'd like to look at them and say, okay, name me the games that you've – how many games have you seen? Yeah. Tell me what they are. Because it's, it's, that's overblown. So And there's a whole – there's a large amount of teams, too, that won't even – I would I imagine offensively, we won't even feel it. Like, we won't even – I mean, we won't yeah. even know it's there. Right? I'm not and, fun to coach. I, so, if you look at me and we have the fun discussion, it would make the game in a different way fun <laughs> than we can talk. But I might I, pack line – I might pack line if there's a shot clock, Coach. Well, I think shot clock would actually help pack line. Yeah, because pack they have so, to come at you. So it, it, I would like, I would like it, but the the word is like. So if you want to have the argument of like and fun, let's do it. Okay. But don't say 
It, the game doesn't need a shot clock. It doesn't. It's good. Uh, favorite holiday? Oh, Christmas. In basketball, who's the GOAT? Michael Jordan. No hesitation. Favorite place to travel? Uh, Spain's been my favorite. Been all over Spain and the Canary Islands. If you could travel back in time, what period would you visit? And you're just visiting it. You're not living there, staying there. 1920s. Game of basketball was created, and it was a fun time. Two more. How many cups of coffee do you drink per day? I feel like I know this answer, but go ahead. I used to do it all the time. I haven't touched coffee in years. But you're sparking. You're still sparking? Uh, I'm off Advocare. I actually ended my Advocare deal. I'm on some other stuff. If you want to talk, we can. <laughs> Liquid. Well, the good thing with Smart is, and, and me working with Smart still full-time, yeah. is anything he gets sponsored by marketing-wise, I'm usually doing that deal. And so I'm making sure I'm taking care of it. So, like, he just, he, he's got a big deal with Liquid IV right now. And I oh. you can look at IV. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Not a whole lot of caffeine. Uh, it's got the, the uh, stevia, no no artificial sweeteners, that kind of stuff. And uh, it's I, I've gotten away from the I've gotten away from the caffeine as the energy. Now I still do a pre workout before my workouts in the morning, and that thing's loaded with caffeine. But um, <laughs> what's your brand I, of pre workout that you like? Uh, it's it's called uh, SSB2 by a company called Performix. Okay. Uh, it's pills. You pop two pills. Uh, it's caffeine, arginine, just a bunch of different stuff. Um, it definitely wakes you up nice. pretty quick. Last um, one. But, yeah. Godfather, Star Wars, or neither? Uh, if we're being honest, I had never seen The Godfather. It's okay. What about the other one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a Star Wars guy. I mean, I'd rather watch Tombstone, but nice. <laughs> but Star Wars... Yeah, you can't go wrong with Star Wars. They're, they're yeah, I used to ask. I used to just say Godfather or Star Wars, and then I realized because I could see it in their face. Like, I don't neither of them. Like, I I could see it, so I gave that you know that kind of that out for people. I then. I've never seen The Lion King. I'm being like, I, 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 and it's not because the original. I'm a movie guy. Like, I'm telling you, I'm a movie guy, and I've never seen probably two of the most classic movies: Lion King and Godfather. Never seen. Them. Ever. They're very different. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and it's very sad, but that's about yeah. all I know. Well, Coach, man, this this was so much fun because, again, when I, I it's I love getting to talk to guys that I have a relationship with, but just getting to learn more about you and, and kind of some of the, the the ways that you coach, the ways that you view the game. Uh, I just really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been it's more fun for me because I I got to watch you play. Uh, high school ball and knock the ever-loving snot out of those shots all the time and now you're just a, a grown great person who loves the game and is promoting the game of basketball and that's good because it's cool to see and then it's bad because it makes me realize how old I am but that's <laughs> you say this is last year but you said 52 right I'm done uh, you, yeah, got, I'm, you got 18 I'm, 20 years left oh I'm gonna that I'm gonna go do something uh smart's <laughs> gonna open up we're looking at opening up a facility, you know, an eight to ten court um, wow. out towards the the that side of town because there's really nothing over there, uh, you know, for for an indoor tournament thing for AAU and, and whatnot. So that's the investment thing we're kind of looking at, and and I would I would run that. Uh, well, I don't know if that's going to happen, but we're definitely looking at that. And 
I still run his NBA camps, and so that keeps me. Yeah, you're busy. You're going to stay busy, and I know yeah. you. You'll you'll stay busy. But I'm I'm a. Uh, I may I may cash it in after this one. I hit that TRS up. Yeah. Coach, you mentioned a few cool things throughout throughout our talk. You know, even from stuff in the weight room uh, to your pack line philosophies. If coaches want to connect with you and ask you some questions, what could, where can they go? Yeah, so um, the the I've got a I've got a YouTube channel that's very active, and so on my YouTube channel, you can just literally search my name and it'll pop up. Um, you know, I've got a whole presentation there that's that's gone viral worldwide. I mean, I probably answer two to three emails a day. I just answered one a day from Mexico, a, a coach in Mexico over pack line. So if you have questions, that'd be a good place. There's about a 40 minute pack line implementation video on there. And then after you watch that, um, you can email me. It's got the, all my information on my email in that. Um, and I will, as long as you're not a district opponent or somebody that <laughs> it's, it really so it, competitive. It, actually kind of taught me this rule if we feel like you're super uh, authentic and real about implementing it then i'll i'll share i have a whole lot to share i've got um, a lot of paperwork i could share with you and then with the paperwork um there's youtube videos they're private those are private though okay so every drill that we do from when i was at duncanville to fly my marcus to boswell to um, everywhere um, there's examples of the drills so not only do you have the paper the what we do and how to implement the whole system you can watch it. Every, there's the, all the drills and the breakdown is on video. Those are private. And so once whoever it is, uh, feel, I would feel free to share. It was just it couldn't be somebody that I think we're going to play and have to have to uh, try to beat. I get um, that. If it's if it's truly something that someone that you can tell they're they're very interested in instilling pack line, then I would be more than happy to share. Um, I've got a whole system set up that I can share for sure. Awesome. Well, Coach, thank you so much for your time, man. I, this was awesome. You run a really cool thing, man. I watch them all, um, and they're they're really neat. So, uh, I we we in the basketball community, us old folks, really appreciate you, man. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.